Welcome to The Third Wheel. This is episode 12, and I'm 100% sure of that. Uh, today we are going to finish up the second book of The Wheel of Time, The Great Hunt. I almost said The Shadow Rising. We all read all these chapters, right? I did yeah. read these chapters, yes. Great. The two people talking are... Beyond, the first-time reader who does read them. And... <laughs> Jesse, a second kind of time reader, and I also read these chapters. Great. We all have so much in common. Like that we've read these chapters. I'm so proud of us. Look at what we've done. Look at how far we've come. Really, the struggles that we've all gone through together have brought us closer. Yeah, I feel like we've all converged in the same place to have, have some kind of climactic moment. Yeah, so while I was waiting for us all to converge, um, I was going through this really tough training uh, with the day main. So, um, I mean, it's just been, it's been horrible. Some of the things that they've made me do, um, uh, I wanted uh, like a hot drink because it was cold, um, but they didn't have the kind of tea that I wanted. Uh, so I had to have caffeinated and then I was up for a few extra hours at night. Oh, it's like they a made war crime. Me, yeah, they made me walk up a hill that was just a little bit steeper than was comfortable, um, so I was kind of like out of breath at the top. Uh, that was really tough. Yeah, uh, I know, Bion, you've been doing some of the training. Have they made you do anything that horrible? I had to listen to your joke. That is tough. <laughs> I know. We'll get to... The Damien training is hard, don't get me wrong. I just think it's funny that, like, divorced from context, she's like, I had to carry this bracelet three feet. Well, it's pretty bad. Yeah, that's why context matters. Um, anything to say before we start? Bion, you might have some initial impressions. Suddenly the pacing goes from long and slow and trotting along to very fast we're doing things yeah that's how the ends of these books go remember that time that i was like 40 to 50 percent of the book happens in these last 10 chapters so it's a lot happens and the passage of time it not much time passes or it feels like no no time passes it feels like Every just next second is something else is happening. I mean, yeah. I think these last chapters, except for like at the very end where there's like a few days time skip. Happen is, within like an hour. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like even from the start to I think like chapter 48 is like 12 hours. And that's counting the time where they're traveling. So like there's just nothing in this. And I genuinely had fun reading this ending as opposed to the ending of the first book. Yeah. Yeah, the ending of the first book is not nearly as good. This one, I was like, this is my, now my third time reading it. And I was like, there were moments I was tearing up. My name is Randall Thor, and I swear that Balzaman is actually dead this time. I swear. Oh I have a God. melted sword to prove it. You said the name. Did I? Properly? You said the name properly. Really? I didn't even prompt you. I mean, I just read it. I That's was, true. I was very tempted to say something besides Baalzaman. But yeah, he's dead. And this time we know for sure. Because, like, 
my hands are all marked up and the sword's gone. And everyone saw it happen. We'll get to it. There were witnesses. We'll get to it. First, we have to get through the only two slow chapters, but then it's like breakneck speed. Let's go. I'm hyped. Chapter 41. Initial D. (laughs) Initial D. Disagreements. (laughs) Rand and Co. are traveling from the Portal Stone to Falm. It's a five-day journey. They are three days into it. It is miserable. There's so much rain. Oh my god. Yeah, this is just them getting the download on the Shanchan. Yeah, everybody else has gotten this same beat of like, we're getting close to the Shanchan. People keep talking about the Shanchan. So finally, Rand gets to do that. Well, they didn't know that they were going to be interacting with the Shanchan until literally this chapter, so. Yeah. Everybody's talking about all the weird stuff that the Shanchan do. They eventually reach the remains of a village that has been destroyed, and they take up refuge in the closest thing to a whole building that the village has left. There is a long argument here between Varen, Rand, and Ingtar about what to do um, as far as like going to Falm and getting the horn and how many people we take and when we go and how fast. I mean, this is pretty slow and uneventful, but for me, this is just, just sort of emblematic of that Robert Jordan doesn't take anything for granted and doesn't expect the audience to take anything for granted. Technically, it wouldn't make that much sense for all of the all of the Borderlanders to go straight to Falm yeah. uh, after getting out of the Portal Stone. But as a reader, if they had just done that, I could have rolled with it and accepted it. But Robert Jordan doesn't take that sort of easy way out. He's like, I'm going to have at least like a chapter of them arguing about this to make sure that readers know that I know what's happening and I have my reasons for what the characters are doing. So that's just sort of a Jordanism. Uh, Yeah, that's a really great point. I totally agree. Unlike other authors, I have a timeline I am following. (laughs) It's like, He knows that people will be thinking too hard about everything, so he decides to make sure that every question people have, there's an answer somewhere. So, Rand eventually gets tired of the argument, decides to just go to sleep. What a great leader. Yeah, right? This is my kind of leader. As soon as he lays down, Baalzaman is there, in the room. He picks up the dragon banner, and there's some dialogue back and forth about this being the true final battle. I don't know if you've heard. How Rand will break, and his only salvation is to follow Balzaman. Rand... I've heard that hmm? the Wheel of Time will be broken. What would lead you to believe that? I don't know. I feel like the Wheel of Time will be broken in the world. It will be remade in the image of the Shadow. And that the Wheel itself holds you prisoner to your fate. But the Dark One can set you free. It's totally possible. I guess we'll find out how that goes for him. <laughs> Rand channels an incredible amount of the power, uh, forcing Balzaman away. So he leaves and... But after Balzaman shows some sweet concern for his safety, he's like, you'll burn yourself to a crisp, you woolhead. He's very soon soon. Did readers know how long this series was going to be when the books were first starting to be released? No, I think I have read, I've read conflicting things, but it pretty much all says that, like, uh, Jordan's original idea was, 
like six books mm-hmm. yeah. and then he got two or three books in and he said okay eight and then he got four or five in and he said okay ten and then he got like seven in and he said okay twelve and then he, he died got, well and then he got eleven in and he was like it's twelve if i have to sell you a four thousand page book it will be, be 12, 12. <laughs> no more and then he died and it was 14 yeah because brandon sanderson understood that just it is you can't sell people a four thousand page book you just literally can't print it it would it would be three books anyway so you're saying he's a coward <laughs> i just found that interesting because a second book is pretty soon to be saying the f- true final battle that's pretty early to bring out those words i mean if you sort of know that's where the series is going to end yeah um, but no yeah. at no point was it's not like he's saying it's going to be soon it's just in this age well i mean but this is the battle between baal Zaman and rand so i think it is legit to be to like experience some dissonance between this is the true final battle and this is book two out of 14 well i don't think anyone was thinking that the end of book two was tarman gaiden it was rand was <laughs> that's a pretty lame tarman gaiden well he's a sheep wool in his head do you think his head is full of wool or his head is made of wool both it's just a ball of wool It's felted wool to create the skeletal structure, and then just raw, uncarded wool inside. Wow, you know so much about wool. Are you Rand spun back (laughs) out into this age? I I just think um, crafts are fascinating. And, you know, you, you never know. Speaking of fascinating, let's end this not fascinating chapter. Yeah. Uh, the only thing worth noting is that Rand was not asleep. Like, mo- all of the furniture and stuff is back where it was, but there are marks in the room that indicate that Balsamon was physically present. I've heard the seals are weakening. It's true. Some might say that by the end of this book, three out of seven are broken. They don't actually ever say, like, what it is that breaks the seals, do they? Um, I believe later in the series there is talk of, like, intentionally breaking seals, but no, at this point they just kind of have a seal that isn't broken, and then they look away and look back and it's broken. Fascinating. Oh no, it's broken. That's basically what this book has. Yes, a lot of things break. Like, my desire to continue talking about chapter 41. Chapter 42, Falma. In the audiobook, it's Falma. Falma. Why? Whenever I see it, I just want to be like Falma. Anyway. Jinkies. Nenev and Elaine are hiding out. This chapter is slightly more interesting than I thought it would be. Uh, Yeah. I didn't think of it as a nothing chapter like the other one. No. It has important information. Yes. Uh, The two of them are posing as... Uh, simple refugees they are aware of the dangers of using the power but still use it anyway and you they, know like steal apples and stuff yeah you know something important apples are very important uh they have also learned that the general domain populace doesn't seem as interested in escaping as 
much as they would think. I think at this point, they just don't understand the rules. Well, they certainly don't understand the rules. But I remember, wasn't there something about they... Well, no, it's that Nanave experimented on using the power on one of the Adam, and then the domain, like, tattled on them. And she's yes, like, that's what why would they do this? But yeah. she doesn't understand that there's a lot of rules. Yeah. Well, because they're all brainwashed. So Nanave is working on the plan, like you said, and they're just kind of hanging around. We're just kind of establishing that these two are still actively working towards this goal. We cut to Egwene, who is being slowly crushed by the Daemon training. Uh, Min arrives in a dress, foreshadowing for book four? <laughs> she wears a dress. She wears a dress in book four. Get hyped. We get some information about the Daemon training, which, hey, sounds pretty tough. Cruel, dehumanizing, torturous, unnecessary... Extreme violence, uh, negative reinforcement and positive reinforcement. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, even with all the horrific stuff, Egwene says, Yet anything the Shan Chan let her do was another chance to touch Sidar, to feel the power flowing through her. She hated the things Rena and the other Soldam made her do, but she was sure she could handle much more of the power now than she could before leaving Tarvalon. And I just appreciate that there are layers. Mm -hmm. It's reflective on there's different ways to teach things and different ways that people learn. However, uh, one shouldn't have to be tortured <laughs> to reach their best potential. Yeah. But it does say something about the towers and how they taught people versus how Egwene and the other people seem to be much more rough around the edges, like... Just tell me what I can do and let me do it. Yeah, I think the idea is just that Egwene's potential is so ludicrously high that this doesn't break her. You mean, like, mentally break her? Well, also, like, magically break her? I guess we'll find out how it affects her in the long term, won't we? <laughs> I do yes, find it will. fascinating that Earth is considered masculine in this power dynamic. And I get it because Earth is strong, but... I'm so used to Earth being seen as feminine, as in Mother Earth, or my Earth that grows and stuff like that. My understanding was that it seems like the powers themselves aren't necessarily, like, masculine-feminine as much as... Or, like, that's a result of the Sidar Sadine wielders being naturally strong in different ones, as opposed to... Like, it followed that, as opposed mm. to them deciding, this is the mask one, this is the femme one. It's more of a descriptor, rather than a... It's descriptive, not prescriptive. Whoa. And they talk about how they never bothered to, like, check her affinity for Earth and Earth-sensing things, because they just don't bother. But for the Sean Sean, that's, like, their number one selling point for a good domain. They need those rocks. <laughs> I mean, it is useful, right? To build more weapons. And I like in this chapter, there's like still more rules about the Adam. There's yeah. that like, you can't move your the bracelet even when no one's wearing it. 
you can't touch things that you consider a weapon. Like, yeah. And you can't channel without a soul dam wearing the bracelet is the third one. Yeah, it makes you real sick. It makes me feel all icky. And that really mentally breaks a person, because to be honest, anything is a weapon. Anything and anyone can be a weapon. And so in order to not feel that crippling pain, you really have to change not only how you act, but how you feel in order to not be punished. Yeah, that's interesting. You have to completely change yourself to a passive mindset. Yeah. Which is useful for what they're doing to them. Well, it's almost like um, there's a real world, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name, um, there's a real world drug that is used to uh, help alcoholics that like you take it and then if you drink alcohol, you get like violently ill. I think there's a joke about it in a Family Guy episode at one point. Uh, but it's almost like that, right? Because like the Damien can touch Sidar whenever they want and they can use it whenever they want. It just makes you violently ill. Oh, but not if you're being controlled. Then it's good and they want to use it. So it's almost like they're like duct taping a bottle of alcohol to your hand and like, you can only drink this when I'm here to watch you. So, yeah, it's like just another layer of the positive negative reinforcement coming in together. And then also the soul dam being like, I'm kind of taking some swigs on the side that, yeah. no, that no one knows about. It, it's like the person is drinking from the bottle and then the soul dam reaches over and like uses a napkin to wipe it off of your chin because you spilled some. And then they're like sucking on the napkin. <laughs> We'll get to that. We'll get to it. Um, but yeah, in this chapter, Egwene mentions the fact that her trainer talked about how they develop an affinity for telling when someone's channeling, yeah, which is a pretty which, big hint. It's a real thinking emoji. I So at the start of my notes, I was very um, like circumspect about all of this because I didn't remember if they revealed it in this book and I didn't want to give it away. But now that Beyond knows, we can just talk about it. Yeah. That the Soldam can channel. Yeah, we'll get to it in the chapter. Yeah. They're the worst. They really do suck. Actively working against your own people. Yeah. I mean, some of them don't even know. It sounds I like think, most of them don't know. Yeah. They're just like, I can sort of tell when someone's channeling. That's normal, right? Yeah. Anyways, Min shows up. Anyway, Min shows up. Um, and she so calls Egwene a ninny-headed goose. For some reason, I have that in my notes. I mean, it's a solid thing to call somebody that's being actively tortured and is upset about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't break forehead. So Egwene, yeah, we talked about she can sense metals. She's strong with earth. This makes her very valuable. And she's going to be sent back to Shan Shan, the mainland, in a few days. They talk about how she's valuable because those domain can make more adam but it seems like such a complicated thing i guess it's a terangrial yeah but it seems like such a complicated thing with so many rules it seems like something that only like age of legends type people would be able to make well they talk about making more i know that's why i'm sort of confused it doesn't seem like something that today's like even Aes Sedai would know how to make 
Well, my understanding of it was, like, the reason that nobody can make Turangriel anymore is because everybody that knew how died during the breaking. And so, like, they might have trained more Aes Sedai during that time, but they never passed on that knowledge. Whereas with the Adam specifically, it would have been, like, keep teaching Daemon how to do it so that we always have people able to make more. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, Egwene is... Right, they say that Egwene is like one of the strongest channelers they've had in centuries, and um, and like your ability to channel the power in strength is directly correlated to your finesse, or like your maximum finesse as long as you train it. So like in theory, there's no reason that if anyone else that is currently alive can make Adam, that Egwene shouldn't be able to. She just doesn't know how. Yeah. I guess they've just uh, stored the old family recipe in a cupboard. Yeah, break out the cookbook for this slave collar. <laughs> so, blah, 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 strong with Earth. She's getting sent back to Shanshan. Um, she's being rewarded with pudding for being good at it. And then, yes, uh, like you mentioned, being trained to destroy stuff with the power sucks, but being able to use the power is great. And then... Egwene's trainer, whose name is Rena, uh, comes in and does some more torture, which I don't remember. Oh, she takes away Egwene's name. Yeah. Names are uh, Tuli. Yes. Thanks, Tuli. And then sends Min out of the room, and uh, it's all pretty bad. It's bad stuff. I think why the renaming is more significant too, not just because of taking away her name and giving another one, is but that's the name of a pet mm-hmm. that Rena had. So not only is it dehumanization, it's like literal person- dehumanization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like levels. <laughs> You're a cat now. How does it feel? <laughs> Meow for me. Whoa. Can we get a optional cat ear attachment for this Adam? <laughs> I mean, the Adam could be in whatever shape he wanted. There's Let's so not much... go there. there there's so <laughs> Let's much... not flicker to this alternate reality where the Adam is cat ears. I think I've seen this post on Wetlander humor. No, it's just there's so much potential for p- power abuse, and it already is. It just continues. It gets worse. It's already abuse. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it's just, you know, it's, just, it's good old-fashioned labor abuse. It's not the sexual abuse. Yeah. Ugh, we can cut that. That's really awful. Um, well, at least it doesn't go there. At least. Yeah. Although, you both still have a lot of series to get through, so never say never. Ugh, do we have... Is it gonna be a character development? Is someone I'm gonna have to deal with sexual whatever? No. Okay. Because I really hate that, especially with female characters being like, Your womanhood! Let's have some harassment! Look at this development. I don't like that. No. We don't need that. At least as far as I've seen, I haven't seen any of that. Good. I don't... I, If there is, I'm forgetting it. Yeah. I'm about to finish book four, by the way. I'm like 20 pages away from the end of book four. Good nice. job. Yeah. So we move on from that to chapter 43, a plan, which... Bail Domon do have a plan. Yes. I have as one huge bullet point... So Min, leaving the Daymain house, runs into Neneve and Elaine outside. Um, she informs them that she has got Baildomon 
ready to set sail as soon as they are on the ship. They just have to find a way to get past the Daemon so that the ship doesn't explode. So they go to speak with Domon. Uh, he agrees to leave once they're all there because, hey, he'll have three channelers on board, so they should be able to stop the Daemon long enough for him to get out. When they finish making the agreement, uh, they bring Min back to the fish apartment to continue making a plan. I know I skimmed over a lot, but this holy was sort wow. of a nothing chapter. Yeah. The only comment is I've decided that Baldemon's accent is Midwestern. Now here's the thing: you can't say that and then not do it. And I heard you try to do it, so this is going to be good. It was really bad. Well, you started it. Um, the reason is because there's this one phrase where he's, I don't know what is it. Um, make sure they stay there. What? <laughs> is that what you're going with? No. I, I can't do the Midwest accent. It's a parody of a parody. I'm very sorry about that. But <laughs> but I imagine it having those flat sounds, those flat, strangely friendly tones. That uh, come you with. know I do know. <laughs> I don't. I'm pretty sure he's just a pirate. <laughs> Are you saying that Minnesota people can't be pirates? <laughs> There's I... a bunch of water lakes there. I there's a lot of bodies of water. I was gonna say, never heard of a pirate from Minnesota, but I guess there's nothing. There's no law against it. Well, they're probably Got it. Bale Domone is from Fargo. Yeah, that's kind of where it was going in my head when I was reading. I'm just like, if I listen to more Midwestern accents, I could probably try and mimic it. But all I know is like he's dad Norm, so it's like really hard to come up with a. Good comparison. Please check back after the break. <laughs> so we're done with the bad chapters. Like everything else in this section is fantastic. Like action packed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, chapter 44. Five will ride forth. Anytime that a chapter has a good name, you know it's going to be a good chapter. And a chapter <laughs> has a good name if it is quoting prophecy. I've heard the four will return. That's true. Which four? Place your bets. So Perrin, Matt, and Huron are in a village undercover. Uh, they are scouting out what they can about the local situation uh, when they come across some white cloaks. Huron says that he can smell that Fane was in the village when the Shanchan came and killed all the leadership. And before they get noticed by the White Cloaks, they decide to leave and head back to the main group. Uh, we cut to Bornhold, who notices the group leaving, including He's Perrin. Like, I recognize those shoulders. Yeah. Those big, strong shoulders. Who wouldn't? Uh, recognizes the shoulders, and then later on remembers that it was Perrin. He decides to file that one away to do something about it later. And he decides to set a dead man switch for blowing up the White Cloaks. Yeah. Uh, for now, the plan is to continue towards Falm, drive back the Shanchan and the Ace Sedai that fight beside them. Ugh. Yeah. God, that's <laughs> it's, what's... It's one of the things that's so great that you love to hate about this series is that, like, there's just so much miscommunication and misinformation. It's like willful ignorance of what Aes Sedai actually are. Yeah. But it also makes sense. Yeah, because, because like, yeah. they're bigots. 
Well, and that's the only thing that Ace Sedai means to them. So, yeah. Tarvalon witches are no longer content with manipulating events from the shadows. Thinking emoji. Uh, he orders BR to stay behind when the fight starts so that he can observe and take report to the Lord Captain Commander and Bornhold's son. Let him know that the questioners have been doing some shady stuff. Yeah. Although that doesn't seem like news. No. It's more just that somebody is officially like going on record and saying, hey, questioners seem bad. So we cut back to Rand, who is practicing forms with Ingtar watching uh, while Loyal reads and Varen journals. And Ingtar, Ingtar gives some very not foreshadowing sword form advice. Yeah. You're leaving yourself open. <laughs> Which form leaves you open, Beyond? Heron. Right. Heron waiting in the rushes or something. Heron and water. Yeah. Okay. It's... He, he also literally describes this form as standing on the balls of your feet on one foot yeah. and holding your sword in both hands over your head reversed. Yeah. So that your sword is like pointing above you. Is that like your sword is the heron's beak? I think so, yeah. <laughs> That's so cheesy. <laughs> yeah, so you're like on one leg, sword down as if you were about to stab down into the ground or into As somebody. if you were about to sheathe the sword. Yeah, like, because that's what they mean, right? It's like it leaves you so open, there's no way that you could not get hit. Yeah. That's such a stereotypical, kind of like when people parody karate or kung fu and mm -hmm. they lift their leg up. Yeah. That's what that pose makes me think of. Literal I mean, crane style. I mean, that's the idea, right? It's like everybody that sees it is saying, no, this is bad. This is a joke, right? You're not really going to do that. We know you like your katana, but this is taking it a step too far. Oh yeah, Rand doesn't have a katana. And then the dark one falls for it. Yeah, Balsamon gets got. Anyway, we'll get to that. I'm excited. Perrin, Matt, and Huron come back, and they report that they have found Fane, along with a few hundred white cloaks. Which chapter is it where Nanave thinks she sees Fane, but then dismisses it because it can't be him, of course? I, it, it might be the next one. Okay. Because there's a brief part of the chapter where, the, where they're still amidst their planning, and she's like, that can't be Fane, right? And then moves to dismiss it because there's much more pressing matters. It yeah. might have been one of the previous chapters. Yeah, it was, it was just like one. a very short note. Yeah, she just sees somebody and she's like, is that Fane? Nah. It's where Waldo accept it's the malingering Pat and Fane. Yes, <laughs> he is malingering. So Varen insists that they need to make a plan for who's going to film a who's small... Who's going to ride forth. Yes, which five are going to ride forth. A small group will be better. Uh, <laughs> it has to include Huron so that they can find Fane. Matt, Matt has to, to find the dagger. Yes. Rand has to go to because he's here for Matt. Ingtar has to go because he's the commander. And Perrin chimes in. And he's the third Tavarin, so it's fine. Yeah. Then everyone else speaks up and then Varen's like, nope. Gotta, gotta follow this prophecy. Yeah. Five will ride forth. So they're finishing up the planning... Uh, and during this, Varen is, like, drawing a five-spoked wheel 
And during this discussion, the wheel gets partially broken. So now there's only four spokes. And Rand's like, that seems bad. That's spooky. And some spooky stuff. So that brings us to chapter 45, Blade Master. This is the longest chapter in this section. Let's do it. Nenev, Elaine, and Min are waiting early in the morning near a Suldam Daymane pair. As soon as the coast is clear, um, everybody is either gone or at least the soldiers are gone from the street. They go and grab the... Uh, so Nenev channels, opens the collar, Daymane runs away. Um, but not before the Daymane, like... The caller is gone, turns around, punches the soul dam, and then just starts running away. And then Elaine just shouts, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you feel about Nanave figuring out how to open the collars with the power? Like, it's a little outlandish that it just she makes figured me wonder it out. Why it hasn't been done before. Well, like, she is, I mean, by this point, she's figured out that the soul dam can channel, right? No, she... Puts the collar on the soul dam yeah. on a, by accident. It's 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 when she puts the collar on and then she's able to feel the feelings and then uh, transmit the uh, pain. Yeah, as soon as I said that, I remembered. But now I'm trying to because there, I could have sworn there's like logic behind this choice that she knows that there is a way to pop it with the power. I mean, there, that's why he mentioned like a couple chapters ago that she experimented with it so that it doesn't come like completely out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But it seems like a lot for her to have figured out, but I can roll with it. It's just like, I mean, she's real good. Yeah. Nanave will throughout the series continue to be good at like things. No one else has done. Well, like why aren't we using the power this way? I've had some spoilers about that. Well, then you, Know that I speak the truth. Yeah. So they get the Adam open. Elaine puts a bag over the, or it might not be Elaine. Somebody puts a bag over the Soldam's head and they just drag it. It was like all the way over her torso. Yeah. It's like like a potato potato sack. sack. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Once again, very Scooby-Doo. So they kidnap the Soldam and just drag her into an alley. They're changing clothes. Nanave puts the bracelet of the Adam on, Elaine is getting ready to wear the collar. But really doesn't want to put it on. I mean, would you? No. Yeah. And then Nanave has an idea. What if we put the collar on the Soldam? Seta. She does it and she's like, hey, this thing works. That's really weird. And you know, just pokes at her with great pain yeah well no she does that because seta starts laughing because seta assumes that it won't affect her because she can't channel Mm -hmm. and so she's all smug and then the pain happens because you made nanave more angry don't do that yeah this whole section of nanave like figuring out stuff in rapid succession is really good along with um she starts her, we see the first time of her long running threat that she keeps throwing out throughout the series of threatening someone in the context of their mother and father meeting, <laughs> uh, which is just like a flex. And then yeah, she has one of her favorites. Yeah. And then she has this whole speech about 
you don't want to be seen, good. Neither do we. For some reason, I have this noted that Seta asks, where are we going? And Elaine says, into the lion's den. At the same time, Min says, to dance with the dark one. And I didn't know that Elaine and Min were such edgelords. I was going to say, are they weebs? <laughs> are they wrong, though? I mean, they're not wrong, no. The one thing that I do like is that... One thing in all of this that's especially good is Nenave having these moments of... Like, during all of these revelations, she thinks, or she threatens Seta about, um, like, I'll cause you all of this pain with the Adam. And then Seta's reaction indicates that Nenave, her threat isn't just like, I'm going to exaggerate how much I'm going to hurt you so that you understand that I'm going to hurt you. And instead indicates... I could literally make you feel like you've been flayed. Yeah, like, this is not an exaggeration. You, yeah, it's... It's really good. I I really like this little... It's only a couple pages, but it's really good. Plus, I'm pretty sure Set is the one that was being mean, extra mean, to Egwene in earlier chapters. So it's just really interesting to see the dynamic of when she gets collared and it's she realizes how bad things are once she's not the tormentor. Mm-hmm. And she's the tormentee. Yeah. Yeah. So we... After that... Um, now that they have her collared and they're ready to go, we cut to the Rand Band, who have just entered Falm. They leave their horses in an alley, which I guess makes sense because people don't commit crimes when the Shanchan are around. Uh, and they set off, following Huron along Patton Fane's trail. Um, they see a few Daemon on their way, and a pair of Grom. Rand's which, like, what could this mean? Yeah, I have it. Cut out. What in the name of the light are they? Matt asked. Huron's eyes seemed as big as his face. Lord Rand, they're... Those are... It doesn't matter, Rand said. After a moment, Huron nodded. Like, it's just... I don't know. The writing of that is really good. I don't know why they are so intent on it being a secret. That they were in another world. Well, they might just not want to... I think Rand explained that they were in another world, but I don't know that they gave, like, such a good description of the Grom that Matt was able to intuit what they were. Yeah. They just seem sketchy about it. Yeah. I think it's more that Rand is trying to say, like, Huron, don't be scared. We're going to be good. We're not here to fight Grom. In and out. 20 minutes. So, uh, Matt and Huron agree that the Dagger and Fane are probably in the same place, and they find this one building that they're next to that um, seems to sort of be like a lord's manor in Falm. And Matt's like, my spidey sense is tingling. <laughs> yeah, my dagger sense. Gotta cut somebody with a dagger. Ingtar insists that they have to go in, uh, since the horn's in there, gotta get the horn. <laughs> Uh, but there's like 40 guards out front, so they decide to go around the back where there's one guard. They all go back there. Uh, Ingtar jumps over the wall and kills the guard. Everybody else follows. They're sneaking through the garden on their tippy toes. Everybody gets fully armed, and they're sneaking through the building, not running into anybody. Um, Ingtar is... Like, deteriorating in his ability to think of anything except getting the horn. Gotta find the horn. Yeah. The horn! 
<laughs> there's a part where he because uh, they figure that the horn and the dagger are in the same room and so he tells Matt now find it find the horn for me <laughs> yeah not suspicious language at all no uh, let he who sounds the horn think not of glory so we learn later Ingtar's whole deal mm-hmm. um, but I've, I've seen competing theories online because the justification he gives is that he feels that fu- Finding and sounding the horn will redeem himself for being a dark friend. But other people seem to think that the dark one planted a compulsion in him to want to find the horn the same way that Thane has a compulsion. So I'm not sure which one I believe or prefer. I kind of prefer the first one, the one from the text. The one where he's trying to personal integrity his way through it. Yeah, redeem himself. I mean, I think it's possible, very possible, that the Dark One was like, you know what I'm going to do? Add some sneaky, sneaky suggestions to mess with people's lives a little bit. But at the same time, Ingtar has done things that are respectful of other people, like burying the two people, even if they were dark friends and things like that. Well, that's, that's the thing, is like going back to it, um, I would have to read specifically, but I'm pretty sure Ingtar's, uh, the thing that he says before he pieces out is, um, implies that those two aren't dark friends. That like, that's why he buries them is because he's a dark friend and so he would know they're not dark friends. They're like just two soldiers that got caught. I thought it was either that or maybe that Either they are dark friends, but he's the only one that feels like it needs to be possible for dark friends to be redeemed. So he also, we can talk a lot about Ingtar. Do we want to talk about it now? Or we'll we'll talk about it later. I'm sorry, I went out of order. No, 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 no. That's totally fine. I just like I have a lot to say about Ingtar. I do not hate Ingtar. Sweet. Well, let's talk about how much we don't hate him when he's dead. Okay, so they get to the room with the horn and the dagger. Uh, They're taken by Ingtar and Matt, respectively. Uh, Ingtar mentions that he is saved now that he has it, um, which will lead into my whole thing about Ingtar later. Huron and Rand are keeping a lookout through the windows, and Rand makes eye contact with Egwene for a second. And then, like... Everyone else is like, nah. Yeah, and Rand is, like, about to lose it when he realizes that she's been collared. Suddenly, uh, Turak and his entourage enter the room, having been waiting for the group. Turak is intimidating and completely in command. Just, like, doesn't even imply that somebody needs to go and take the horn and dagger by force. Just, like, sending a soldier forward to take them because Turak is so high above them that, of course, they're just going to be handed over. And then Matt cuts the dude with the dagger, and the guy, like, decomposes in real time. That's some pretty effective sepsis right there. Yeah. That guy dies in, like, ten seconds. (laughs) Yeah. So now Rand's the last one who hasn't killed a human being. Don't worry, we're only (laughs) one bullet point away. (laughs) So everybody starts fighting. Uh, Ingtar leads... Everybody that isn't Rand to fight the soldiers, leaving only Turak and Rand to square off. Uh, Turak reveals that he is a blade master and he begins to test Rand. 
With a hair and mark sword. Yeah. Rand doesn't want to use the void so that he isn't tempted by Sadine. Uh, Turek is winning pretty handily when, at the last moment, he says something like, and now you die. Uh, and then Rand embraces the void and begins to push back. Um, they are almost equally matched, with Rand maybe a little bit better. Which is pretty wild, but all yeah. right. Forms meet forms as Rand pushes forward. <laughs> Many forms. Gotta take a drink of water. Are you ready for this? <laughs> the swallow takes flight, meets parting the silk. Moon on the water meets the wood grouse dances. Ribbon in the air meets stones falling from the cliff. Lightning of three prongs meets leaf on the breeze. Finally, Rand decides to end it. Boar rushes down the mountain into the river, undercuts the bank, and Turak is dead. What's happening? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think that's the worst one in the series. I don't think it's ever that many in that shortest span of time. (sighs) Bion? I can see why you liked this. Me? Yeah. Why? (laughs) This seems very middle school. Oh, (laughs) I don't know what you're saying. You have no idea what I'm saying? No. This seems like somebody who has a snake tattoo would enjoy. It's not- Spoiler, Tyler now has a snake tattoo. It's not a snake tattoo. It's a snake tattoo. The tattoo contains a snake, but it's not like, I got a big snake on my (laughs) tattoo. It's the rod of Asclepius. It's a snake tattoo. Shut up. You just wouldn't understand. Just like we wouldn't understand the majesty of that paragraph. Just like you wouldn't understand how the boar rushes down the mountain. <laughs> At least that one I kind of get. He's an aggressive boy. He's, an, he's a boar. So now Rand has killed a human being. Um, Which he like struggles with for a sentence. <laughs> one sentence and then he's Gucci. The rest of the group comes back from their fight. They're all relatively unharmed. Uh, and they make a quick escape from the manor, with Rand swearing that he will return to free Egwene. Chapter 46, To Come Out of the Shadow, which, by the way, let me scroll back up to confirm the exact wording, but the prologue is called In the Shadow, and Ingtar is definitely there, in retrospect. Yes. Beown. Because I know shadow. You- well, no, that's the whole point. Is like he's in the shadow in the prologue, and then now he's coming out of the shadow in the chapter called "To Come Out of the Shadow." What a character! He's coming arc. out of the closet. Yeah, except the closet is Satan. <laughs> uh, so, chapter forty-six: Nineveh, Seta, and Elaine enter the Daemon building. Uh, Min is already there, and she is kind of like surreptitiously leading them to Egwene. Um, when they arrive at the room, uh, they release her, and Egwene reveals that all of the Soldam uh, can channel, which, if you hadn't figured it out, is now said. Um, and the Daemane are just wilders with the spark born in them. So that's the two things. Like, you put the bracelet on, and that indicates whether you can learn, but the people that they select as Daemane are the wilders, which is also why Daemane are, on the whole, stronger than your average Aes Sedai, because Wilders are, on the whole, stronger than women that can learn to channel. Because it's the untamed potential rather than learned structure? I don't know that they, like, have a reasoning for it. It's just the way it is. But yes, that's almost certainly it. 
Yeah. Some people can wear the bracelet and some can't. No reason to think that there's any reason behind it. No. Or if there is, you know, just don't think about it. So a male channeler could hold it. No. They mentioned that a man putting on the bracelet uh, would kill you. So any man, even if there's the power channeling or no? Well, no. I assume that it's just men that can channel. Because they mentioned that um, that's a thing that they do at court to, like, mess with the men, is have you put the bracelet on and see if you die. As, like, are you hiding the ability to channel? Or, like, could you learn to channel as a man? If you put this bracelet on, it will kill you. What a vetting process. Yeah. So, Egwene is free. Rena enters the room and sees this whole gaggle of people. And uh, Egwene goes sicko mode. <laughs> yeah. She smashes a pitcher into Rena's stomach so hard that the pitcher, like, explodes. Yeah, the end of this book seems like a bigger moment for Egwene than Rand. Yeah. That's because Egwene, when, she, when they initially arrive, she says, Oh, I must not be dreaming because you're not Rand or that guy whose name that starts with G. Gallad. Gallad, the gallant, the gallant boy who's... <laughs> the gallad lad. Yes. The galad. I, th- yes. I think she mentioned specifically that she had dreamed about them coming in shirtless on horseback. Yeah. Yeah. The two of them together, specifically. But yeah, I mean more in the sense that, like, Egwene gets a lot of character development in these, like, last few chapters. hmm Good for her. Yeah, really. She needed it. <laughs> and we'll continue to. And then when they're debating on whether or not to kill them, Elaine says, Rand would kill someone who did a thing like that. I'm sure he would. A, you've met him once. B, you're not even right. Yeah, you met him for like an hour and you weren't even talking to him for most of that. You talked to him for like 20 minutes one time and he was just some hot 18 year old that fell into your backyard. The idea of this man in my head would totally kill that guy. Mm -hmm. like, subpoint B1, Rand doesn't kill women. Subpoint B2, Rand has only killed one person ever. Subpoint B3, Rand, like, wouldn't touch a woman in anger. Like, beyond even just killing them, he, like, wouldn't even hurt them. Not on purpose. Uh, so, Elaine is being, like, very strange. She's projecting a little. Uh, Egwene puts the color on Rena. And is, like, choking her out while inflicting pain through the Adam. Uh, Nenev pulls her off, and then, yes, they have the discussion of whether to kill them or not. And they decide to just leave them collared. uh, So that the other Soldam can figure out, hey, these ones can channel. Which, in a way, is even crueler than killing them. Because if you kill them, then it just alleviates their pain. But if you leave them there, they have to face the consequences of realizing they have been able to channel all along. And what they've been raised and entrenched in, where where they're allowed to have this power dynamic, is now being forced against them. It's like the original person who made these collars in the first place getting the collar put on her. I see you mm, agree with Nanae's explanation. But also, I mean, that's, al- that's also just the internal consequences. The external consequences is that the other Soldam will come in and find them and probably do something horrific to them. Yeah. It's, it's going to be great. So as they leave, they notice that most of the people are gone. Oh, can we? Can I note one thing? Yeah. So Nanave says that they can't 
take Bella because they're leaving by ship. No, the pattern won't allow it. We have to keep <laughs> Bella with us. You are not allowed to leave by ship. You need to protect Bella. You can only leave by ship if Bella is the captain. <laughs> My name is Edward Cullen, and we must maintain Bella here. Thank you very much. But this Bella's a horse. You think that would stop them? <laughs> I imprinted on this horse. <laughs> Both of them are food sources, so... When you think about it, that Bella would actually be a better food source because A, an animal, and B, more blood, so you can take more without killing her. I'm writing this fanfiction as soon as we're done. Uh, so they leave, they notice that most of the people are gone, like most of the populace, soldiers are still moving around town. Uh, Egwene, prompted by literally nothing. <laughs> I will not go back. Yeah. I'll die first. I Let me show them what they've taught me. Yeah. Oh god, oh fuck. And the knave is like, nobody's nobody's taking you back. We're fine. And Egwene's like, no, I gotta kill them though. With a roar like thunder, the street under the first ranks of Sean Sean erupted, dirt and cobblestones and armored men thrown aside like spray from a fountain. Still glowing, Egwene spun to stare up the street, and the the thunderous roar was repeated. Uh, yeah, Egwene goes sicko mode again. Also, iconic. (laughs) That's what happens. No, but really, though, it's good. (laughs) It is pretty wild that she's like... (laughs) Yeah. That this is her reaction, but it's also pretty fun. Yeah, she... Yeah, Egwene is very upset, and everybody else that's there is like, no stop. I might have been getting delirious in my notes. I made a joke in here about... It's not important. What is important is that everybody's like, Egwene, please. Stop. Stop. This is the definition of unnecessary. I won't go back to that collar. I won't. Yeah. So some nearby Daymane attack with fireballs. And so now Egwene and the Knave are engaged in this battle with the Daymane uh, using fire and lightning to try and stop each other. I mean, admittedly, though, Egwene's the only one that actually went through this torture where she was made to feel like she was boiling alive and things like that. Yeah. So yeah, she's definitely under- traumatized. So it's understandable why she might respond in this way to the concept of being pushed back into that now that she's had the freedom to touch magic again. I totally agree. My only point in all of this is that nobody is pushing her back when she starts. Like, she literally just steps out into the street, sees a bunch of soldiers, and is like, I'm not going back. I mean, that's literally triggered. That's that's true. It logically tracks. It's just very over the top. And yeah. like, and also, fun to read. Yeah, I think they're wearing soldam dresses, so they also probably could have just walked right past and been perfectly fine. Like, that's my only point in all of this. It makes sense, and her reaction is fine. But there was an option that involves less murder. Yeah, I think right now her body count is officially the highest of the five main characters. Oh, absolutely. Egwene gets things done. It, her body count is probably higher than the rest of them put together. Well, I mean, Perrins is two, Matt is one, Rand is one, Nanave is zero. Has Nanave not killed anyone? No. Oh, yeah. At least not yet. Has she passively killed people by not acting as the healer wisdom in their tiny sheep herding village? I mean, not even, but objection speculation. 
Yeah. But, like, Egwene has probably killed, like, tens of people just yeah. in this one chapter. Easily double digits. I mean, they talk about the ranks of soldiers being, like, 20. So, and the soldiers don't seem like the type that wouldn't charge. So if there's two ranks of them, she's killed at least 40 people. Yeah. So how about those Aes Sedai oaths, huh? Yeah, good thing she hasn't sworn those yet. Except in last defense of her life. Hmm. Is it something she's interpreting as last defense of her life? No, she hasn't sworn them yet, because she's not an Aes Sedai. Okay. No, I was making a comment about, like, is this the last defense of your life? But when it comes down to it, is it the magic itself that determines that is it the individual it is the so just like the weapon and the lying it is your interpretation of what is the last defense of your life because like the oath is all internal okay because even if she had sworn the way she's reacting seems like it is in defense it's it's a very desperate yes yeah that's true desperate fear trauma it's it's real yeah that's fair yeah so this fight is going on and I love this little cut. We just go to Domon for a second as he, cause he's on his ship, like on the outside of the city. And so he's just suddenly there's fire and lightning everywhere. Like everything is just exploding and it sounds really metal. And he's like, I, I do bad. be leaving. Yeah. Yar, I do be leaving. You hear we cut to Bornhold, who is waiting between a pair of hills near the town. Um, he sends Biar away in preparation of the fight, and it begins. Tell my son how I die. Yeah. He says, the Legion will advance at a walk. This is how... Not that there's no other way, but I really like this build-up to the climax of this book, being like, we have had all of these threads, no pun intended, that have been slowly coming together. And now even in this moment, like, you know, the horn is in play. There are white cloaks. There are Sean, Sean, Egwene is going sicko mode. Rand and Baal Zaman are about to have this fight. Like, you know, that all of these things are about to happen and cutting back and forth between in the same way that, um, guess what? I'm going to reference worm in the same way that in worm, when like you cut away from the main character and you see them from an outside perspective, it just heightens the tension. Like in the same way, cutting away and seeing all of the threads about to come back together is like really good at building. The tension is about to pop off. It's pretty standard. This is the climax. Yeah. Writing technique, but it's effective. I had fun. Yeah. I mean, something, something. I don't know enough about, like, 80s fantasy, but this might be a Seinfeld isn't funny, where, like, it's standard, but also Jordan did it in, like, 91, 92. So, was it standard then? It's just really good. Especially, The Legion Will Advance as a Walk is a really good way to start off the climax to a fight of, like... Then they're gonna trot. Yeah. So the next part, I have a few bullet points, but it's all like, it's all great. Um, This is the part we're going to talk about for a bit. There's also a little bit, I think you're about to talk about Ingtar, right? There's also a part where Rand is thinking about Egwene. He says, there was an odd feeling in his head as if pieces of his life were in danger. Egwene was one, was Egwene was one piece, one thread of the core that made his life, but there were others and he could feel them threatened. 
So this is like one of the few times we like explicitly hear Rand thinking about how Tavarin he is. Mm. It's like I've tangled up all of these people in my Tavarinness. I can literally feel it when they are like under threat. Yeah, my Nakama. You were thinking of that because you heard the term One Piece, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) We all know you're trash. He also says, like, he could tell that if they died, he wouldn't have the life that he's supposed to have. Like, just based on the pattern. Yeah, also, we'll talk about it at the end of the series. Uh so, mark it in your calendar. Yeah, mark it in your calendar for 14 months from now. Let's talk about Ingtar right now. So, Ingtar reveals that not only has he always wanted the horn, uh, he's the one that let the archer into Faldara, a small, almost like gray man that <laughs> you just couldn't even notice, even if you were looking at him. Um, and also, he's been a dark friend the whole time. Good stuff. Um, Not out of evil, but just because he thought it was the only way to save his people. Uh, Please go back and note the the part uh, like 20 chapters ago where everybody is just writing and Ingtar suddenly starts talking about how humanity is being pushed back and there's no hope. Let me finish the bullet point and then I'll get into it. Uh, So in his last moments... Uh, not that he's about to die, but like they're all in the alleyway um, and him and Rand are talking. Uh, so in his last moments before he goes, he wishes for redemption and hopes that uh, dying to allow Rand and the horn to escape can give him that. He like sets up this moment that's about to happen by saying one man could hold 50 here. So Inktar, I think that it is boring if the answer is that the Dark One compelled him and not that, like, he... The only thing that he wants is to save Shinar. And so if you start from there, I think everything tracks him turning to the Dark because if he believes that that's the only way and him wanting the Horn, I think is too easy if you say that it's just a compulsion and not a permutation of his one desire is to save Shinar and him like he's only with the dark so that he can get the power to save his people and he clearly wants redemption because in this moment no man can walk so long in the shadow that he cannot come again to the light like that's all he wants is to get the horn and then he can leave the dark like he just needs to save Shinar he's just too committed yeah, I prefer that interpretation as well. Yeah, I think this sort of establishes a precedent that dark friends aren't just like cartoonish villains always. Like we had a couple dark friends in the first book that were literal like mustache twirling randoms. Mm-hmm. But I think Ingtar sort of sets the stage for that. When we like, you can get twists of like characters that you previously knew. And have it be a twist that they're a dark friend, but have it be a bit more nuanced than they were, like, just totally evil the whole time. But you can have it so that they had their own reasons for doing what they did, regardless of being a dark friend. Yeah. 
I appreciate the dynamics of Inktar. I mean, I've low-key suspected he was a dark friend since the beginning, just because of the way the the timing of events were happening. So I'm not surprised. I'm not sure if we're supposed to understand that he's a dark friend from the hints in Valdar or not. But you are okay. Cool. Awesome. I mean, you could pick up on it also because I mean, they mentioned that there's a Shinar and Lord in the prologue. Well, yeah. For me, when I was first reading, I thought all the stuff of him talking about like, gotta find the horn, gotta find the horn, gotta have it, gotta have it. For me, I didn't think of it as him like having some kind of like dark friend connection. To me, I thought it was just a bunch of setup for him to do something horrific in the name of getting the horn. That's what I thought it was leading up to. So it sort of swerved on me on my first read. Oh, is it like the guy that attacks Frodo because he wants to have the ring? Yeah, I thought it was going to be like a Boromir situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, I I could see that. Yeah. I prefer um, this. <laughs> I I think it's one of those things where I appreciate that the dark side is not simply evil, but rather people making decisions which feels right for them and theirs, but might not necessarily be best for the world at a whole. And so to what extent are people truly lost and gone? Some might say that no man can walk so long in the shadow that he cannot come again to the light. Ingtar.jpg. <laughs> there, there's a couple statements where he says humankind and humanity, and then he does the whole no man or one man. So I don't know. I, I mean, I think that's like a decided phrase. But yes, I see what you're saying. I know. Masculine is not neutral. I agree. So that just disappointed me a little bit. But I don't know. Ingtar is a character himself. I'm... I don't hate him, which, you know, knowing me is a pretty big compliment. Yeah. Yeah. He has layers. Yeah, it all sort of comes together in retrospect of, like, his feelings on um, Barthanus back in Kyrian and, like, his constant obsession with the horn and, like we mentioned, um, bearing the two soldiers from earlier. How does the horn help Shinar? Because Shinar can blow the horn and... The heroes like if, can if go. You, yeah, if you brought all the heroes to the blight, they could probably do something. Oh. Yeah. Okay, I was really confused why specifically the horn would help. Because I know ghost heroes are rad, but... Well, that's why. Okay. Because they can kill a lot of Trollocs. Okay, okay. Just, just power of ghost heroes. Yeah. Also, I decided to, like, reading this... I had a sudden thought. It was like, wait a sec. We don't see Angtar die on screen. I'm going to spoil myself and go to the Wheel of Time wiki and see if he's actually dead. No, he's actually dead. Yeah. Uh, And then it says, like, last appears, chapter 46 of The Great Hunt. Last mentioned, chapter 47 of The Great Hunt. (laughs) So he's literally never mentioned again for the entire series. Nope. Angtar is dead. Thanks for your noble sacrifice. His name is gone from the rest of the series. Sucks to be you. Shouldn't have died so early, my dude. Also, if we're going into foreshadowing, Inktar sounds like Ink and Tar, which are both dark. I don't know if we're going with literal things. I don't think we are. 
Okay, because I was definitely just calling him Inky in my head, which ties in with the uh, dark friend dynamic. That works. You know they can make ink that's not black, right? Yeah, but if you're going to just think of ink, like a pot of ink, it's going to be black ink. I guess. So when Ingtar decides that he's going to hold off the hordes, Rand says, I know, Ingtar. The light shine on you, Lord Ingtar of House Shinoa, and may you shelter in the palm of the creator's hand. The last embrace of the mother welcome you home. And this is sort of one of those moments that Rand gets sometimes, where it's sort of like a Tavarin moment where he knows what needs to be said. Because mm-hmm. yeah. what he says gives Ingtar his closure, essentially. Yeah. Because it says the tensions seem to go out of him when Rand says this. So I think this is sort of a Tavarin moment where he is able to say something like magically meaningful. Yeah, I mean, depending on how hard you want to go on the Tavarin being, like, actual plot armor, you can work it backwards by saying, like, okay, Rand, Matt, and Perrin need a certain amount of time to decide who and if the horn is going to be blown, which means that the Shanchan and White Cloaks need to not attack them for a certain amount of time, which means that somebody needs to stay behind and hold them off. If... Ingtar is with the group, something different might happen, which means that it has to be Hurin. They need Hurin with them, which means that Ingtar has to be the one to stay behind and hold them off, which means that Rand has to say this. So, like, you can... I was thinking of it on that level. Right, so that's what I'm saying, is, like, that's just... That is getting into one of the interpretations of Tavarn of, like, how hard do you want to go on this event has to happen in this way, which means that you then work backwards from that and go back through the line to make sure that everything lines up. No, I think it's just, for me, Tavarin tend to have this thing where they'll do some shockingly profound speechifying that reaches deep inside people and brings things out of them. We see a lot of that in the fourth book. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that's sort of what this is. Yeah, fair enough. For the record, I also pulled out that quote about... Lord Ingtar of House Shinoa. It's really good. Does this world believe in heaven and hell? Uh, you shelter in the palm of the creator's hand and by your um, hope of salvation and rebirth. So, I mean, that's... Heaven is that you continue to exist in the world as your thread throughout time. Mm-hmm. And hell is, I guess, the dark one takes your soul. Getting bail fired. The Seam Reaper. Seam Reaper cuts through the fabric and you're not in the fabric anymore, whereas if you do good, you can continue to... The Dark One picks up his sword and uses parting the silk on your thread in the pattern. So, anyway, we're done talking about Angtar. Just like the characters, apparently. (laughs) And I will reference him again, funnily enough, only in chapter 47 and then never again. Uh, Because I have something else to say. But 47, the grave is no bar to my call. Before so we is, get this, into- is this the one where you were talking about turning the page, seeing the chapter title in the picture and having it be an oh shit moment? Yeah, exactly. This was the moment where, because I didn't remember that this was here. I mean, obviously I remembered that um, that this battle happened and that they blow the horn, but I didn't remember that it was, that there was a chapter called this. 
And so, yeah, you I just mean, I wasn't expecting the horn to be blown when I read this the first time. I oh. thought that was a pretty decidedly Tarman Gaiden thing. Oh, well, yeah, I know that, like, on reread, I was waiting, because this is one of the main, this is the main moment of this second book. It just definitely does seem like a Matt move to be like, well, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> well, everybody else agrees, so it's not just him. Rand and Huron rejoin uh, Matt and Perrin, and Huron's like, hey, where's Ingtar? And Rand's like, don't even worry about it. Don't mention him again. This is the last <laughs> chapter. He's a uh, dark friend, but also my friend. Yeah. Maybe the real dark friends were the friends we made along the way. So they all argue for a moment about what to do now. Rand wants Matt, to go- Matt knows what to do. Yeah. Matt has an idea. Uh, Rand wants to go back to Falm to get Egwene, but Matt doesn't have any time to not go to Varen to get healed with the dagger. While they argue, thousands of Shanshan soldiers, Daymane, Grom, and other monstrous creatures at their command take to the battlefield. And then on the other side, there's a thousand white cloaks about to begin their charge. The threads converge. Yes. Luckily, the grave is no bar to my call. So everybody is, like, they have kind of stopped arguing while they're looking around, and then everybody realizes that they are all looking at the horn, and Matt says, there's nothing saying it can't be used before the last battle, just that it has to be there. And uh, he blows the horn. The absolute mad lad. He blows the horn and it resonates with all of creation and summons a thick fog. Bjorn, did you have any reaction to it being Matt that blows the horn instead of Rand? What a horny boy. <laughs> um, no, honestly, I was like, really? All right, then. This seems like a decision you'd make. Because Jesse and I made comments earlier about Matt being the one to blow the horn as a joke. And you were like, no, it's going to be Rand. Yeah. I also clipped something from earlier where oh, really? you made a joke about Matt being the one to blow the horn. That would be a disaster. I mean, he is a disaster child. He is. But you need someone to do it. And Rand already has enough pressure being his own self. Now Matt can have some pressure beyond. I went to the darkness and all I got was this really awful dagger. <laughs> so Now the dark wants to kill me so they can blow this horn. Yeah. Yeah. He's added a new level to the one brain cell decision maker. <laughs> His one brain cell resonates with the blowing of the horn. All of creation is now aware. Yeah. I mean, when I first read this book, I was shook that it was Matt that blew the horn. I was not expecting it at all. Hmm. I guess I'm not really emotionally invested, per se. In Matt? In I think they mean in this in these books. Like it's cool, but at the same time, there was a bunch of rand saturated things, and so if we're gonna balance it out between the boys, I mean, Perrin obviously needs some more screen time, but he gets. You are going to enjoy the next book. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to see Perrin interacting with more wolves. You know, it's the next book is probably like forty percent Perrin, right? It's like it's 40% Perrin, 30% Matt, 
25% Egwene, 5% Rand. It's not even 5% Rand. Yeah. It's what, 3% you said? Yeah. It's primarily Perrin. Okay. Um, yeah. Perrin gets to be a protagonist, the story. Yeah. I don't know. It it seems like Matt's the one that doesn't like tense situations, and so he's more impulsive and just going to do the thing. And um, the way he logic through things is, well, I mean, he didn't give me the dagger. I took it. Well, he <laughs> didn't say that you can't use it beforehand. You just have to have it. So it's definitely within his lines of decision making upon uh, facing a situation that he's not necessarily prepared for. He'll just kind of make that impulse decision and for better or for worse, live with the consequences. Yeah, it's definitely in character. It's yes. just definitely a choice for this series. Yeah. Matt blows the horn. We cut to Bornhold for just a moment after the horn is blown as he is charging toward, or he ends this by charging towards the Shanchan. He like hears the peal of the horn and... He's like, I Sedai trickery. Yeah, well, like the horn makes him... He, like, can't decide whether he wants to laugh or cry. Uh, and then the fog is the Ace Sedai trickery. And he... I assume you have pulled out whatever he tells them to do. Is it... It's not charge. It's trot. Well, right? no. Yeah, at first he's like, the, the Legion will advance at a trot. Which, to me, is just silly. Now prance for me. Prance. <laughs> Essentially. Anyways, but then they charge. Yeah. So we go back to Rand, and the heroes arrive. The capital H heroes. Yes, capital H. I have capitalized it in my notes. Uh, Brigitta Silverbow, Gaidal Kane, and Arthur Hawkwing are some of the more prominent ones. And as Rand is looking at them, he is also like getting the names that they have used back into eternity. Um, some of which match up more with names from our time, so they're a little easier. Do all heroes once dying become shades in the horn yes well, isn't it that they're tavarin i mean yeah so the idea is like people that do extraordinary things like extraordinary enough to make an imprint in reality for all eternity their thread gets picked up by the horn and now you exist as a shade bound to the horn so they don't get reborn they do they get do. reborn you can only be summoned by the horn if you are not currently alive so like they get spun out over and over again but also while they're dead they can be summoned by the horn they get more into the mechanics of it in book four and five. yeah this isn't something that they expect the reader to know right now it's no. just sort of something that gets brought up later i'm just envisioning it like a gotcha game where it's like <laughs> Sucks for you. Archer Hawkwing has been reincarnated. You get a two-star hero. Archer Hawkwing's like a five-star. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like uh, these other ones we've barely even heard of before now. But no. like Archer Hawkwing we hear about like every 20 pages. Yeah. And they each refer to Rand as Luz Theron Telamon. Uh, and they speak to him as if he was an old friend. Um, I don't have the exact quote pulled out, but this bit about... Rand saying, like, hey, I have a friend named Egwene. She's down there past the army. I have to go get her. 
And, and they all laugh at him. Yeah, they're like, you always did pick women that gave you trouble, Luz Theron. He's like, stop calling me that. Yeah. Like, on the one hand, stop calling me that. But on the other, I am just absolutely in love with all of these characters showing up and being like, that's our Luz. Also, Arthur Hawkwing gives Huron a pat on the shoulder yep. and says that perhaps you will find yourself among us one day. Yeah, I, I'm i going to... I have a lot to say about that exact moment. Really? Yeah, yeah. To I me, guess. it's just Huron being cute. No, it's... I don't know. I've... We'll get to it in a second. We'll go linearly and then we'll loop back. Sure. Uh, so, Archer Hawkwing... After he agrees to charge, which, by the way, they're all very affable about, like, yeah, let's go kill some Sean Sean. <laughs> uh, I mean, isn't the idea that they do whatever the Hornblower would want them to do? Yeah, and I guess Matt wants to go grab Egwene. He asks for a banner for them to ride under, and Rand's like, I just so happen. Ugh, fine. <laughs> Pulls out the banner. Uh, I think there's a like one sentence in here where Matt's like, oh my God, he actually has it. And Perrin like goes and cuts down a tree to act as the stick to hold the banner. And then a magical wind starts to blow just to make the banner flap. <laughs> um, gotta have that aesthetic going. It's true. That happens. Tavarin. <laughs> Tavarin. Huron resolves to fight beside the group and... Yeah, so this is where it comes back around. So Rand says, like, hey, Huron, this isn't really... I mean, I know this is above your pay grade. Like, you should just hang back. And Huron says, begging your pardon, Lord Rand, but I don't think I'll wait here. I've come this far, and I think I'll go the rest of the way. As he, like, pulls out his sword, which I think is what causes um, Hawkwing to be like, you might become a hero one day. It's just, like, these moments are so good. I'm going to make another worm comparison during the course of this uh, monologue, but, like, these moments of Ingtar revealing that he's a dark friend and everything making sense in retrospect and us being able to go back through and say, like, he's just... Like, he's so committed to his country that it, like, basically drove him insane. Um, and then Huron having this moment. Huron's like some random nobody from a town across the world. And he, like, bows and scrapes to Lord Rand. And Lord Rand, it's your right to scream at me and hit me if that's what you think. And then in this moment, he says, no, I'm, like, I'm going to stand here and fight. It's these moments of these characters rising, the minor characters, because the big characters, of course, have this, you know, Rand is Jesus, basically reborn into the world. Um, and Matt and Perrin are extremely strong to Varn as well. Egwene and Nave, it's never said, but they're obviously also to Varn. And so with them, it makes sense that they're these great heroes. But then you have these smaller characters who rise to this level of, you know, rise to the level of this random nobody from across the world. Arthur Hawkwing claps him on the shoulder and says, you might become one of us one day. Um, it is really good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really great. Um, this is the moment that had me tearing up is like not Hawkwing's thing, but Huron saying, no, I'm going to 
I'm going to follow this through. So to loop back to Worm, like the moments where the main character in a Wild Bow book does something cool is great and all because they're these, you know, they're these important characters with these skills. But then like you have the interludes where these minor characters that are just a one-off do something heroic and those are often the best chapters. And so I know that I'm bringing Worm into it for no reason. My point in this is like, I am likening it to another book that the three of us all know is very good. Um, I'm trying to use it as like a touchstone. It's effective use of secondary characters. Yes. Um, like highly show. effective. Yeah. Uh, and Huron, by the way, in this like, is willing to fight and then immediately gets off of his horse. So it's not even that he's like actually elevated to this heroic level. Like he is still Huron. But it's, I don't know, this is the moment, these are the moments that make me, like, totally into these books, or these little, like, secondary characters doing something great. Uh, there's a lot of this as the story goes on, and especially, I know, again, I made the joke that see you in a year, uh, but, like, in the last book, there's, like, an incredible amount uh in all of the books, but yeah, I just, I really like it. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It was affecting to me as well. For some reason, I really like Huron. Beyond looks totally checked out. I'm just very tired. And I'm not denying that this wasn't cool. I just don't particularly care about that character. Understand. All right, let's finish this. Yes. <laughs> Which, coincidentally, is exactly what Huron says. Lord Rand, let's finish this. Uh, uh, the ghost wind makes the banner ripple. Um, so as Rand charges and Matt is blowing the horn again, he, like, the fog envelops him, and when it releases, he is in a uh, boss arena with Balsamon. <laughs> Do, do, do. <laughs> uh, yeah, they had to fade out the environment so they could keep the frame rate high for this fight. <laughs> um, so Balsamon is mostly healed. Um, like, he's got some light scarring, but he just looks like a middle-aged man, except that his eyes and mouth are still fire. Rand gets knocked off of his horse, but he sort of is just still standing. Um, stuff starts to get a little abstract in this fight. Get a little interpretive dance. Yeah. Yeah, so they fight in this world of fog, and they're going back and forth, both with the taunting and with the fighting, and Rand slowly gains awareness that, um, like, his fight with Balsamon is mirroring the hero's fight with the Shanshan. As I said, interpretive dance. Yeah. Finally... Rand takes the position for Heron waiting in the rushes and is ready to sheath the sword against Balsamon's fire staff. Balsamon tries once more to tempt him and Rand laughs. He says, I will never serve you, father of lies. In a thousand lives, I never have. I know that. I'm sure of it. Come, it is time to die. And then he sheaths the sword, uh... They trade blows, and he falls into unconsciousness. 
there's a little note where um, Rand takes heart in the fact that the Dark One thinks that he blew the horn, not Matt. Yes. Yeah, so he's know, like that not... That was interesting. Yeah, so he's not actually all-knowing of what's going on. Yeah, or maybe in the pattern before, whoever Rand was would have blown the horn. Mm-hmm. Things are different this time. I don't know if you've heard, but old things are becoming new again. <laughs> Everything is changing. This will be the final battle. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about later in the series with this, like, knowing the thousand lives I never have. Uh, But we'll get to that. Uh, So chapter 48, the first... Time for sitcom misunderstandings. Yeah. The first claiming. Get it? Because Min's gonna... Stake or claim. Yeah. Uh, So Min makes her way through Falm as the battle is finishing up. Um, So this is presumably a few hours later. One Shanshan... Uh, ship remains it's trying to leave and then Brigitta appears for a moment and fires a single silver arrow setting the ship ablaze Brigitta's really cool yes <laughs> thanks I just imagine her wearing a very stereotypical viking outfit I think they mentioned that she's wearing like pants and boots and this like sick jacket and she's got a big braid going over her shoulder. She's all silvery. She is. So Min is searching for something and eventually finds Rand unconscious underneath a tree. A second heron has been branded into his other palm. Uh, twice the ser- twice the heron to name him true. And a cauterized wound sits in his side. Uh, circular. Like some sort of stick or staff went through him Hmm. Uh, she drags him to a nearby house and then gets into bed with him (laughs) he's so cold just to provide him warmth Egwene finds them and cautions against Min being with him but Min's like no I'm gonna do it though you passed it's mine now the quote is Egwene says Min you know you do know he cannot marry he isn't safe for any of us men Speak for yourself, Min said. She pulled Rand's face against her breast. It's like Elaine said, you tossed him aside for the White Tower. What should you care if I pick him up? And for me, this is just, God, this is so weird. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) This doesn't feel like Min at all. Why are you hareming her? (laughs) Hope you don't want to read the rest of the series. I really hate, I really hate that. It doesn't happen much, I promise. Like, uh, me- non-monogamy okay one dude and a bunch of girls not okay then aren't you excited to watch the tv series with me where it will hopefully be rewritten why because that's not okay for amazon to promote no just because it gets like we'll weirder. see we'll see how it all gets put together we'll talk off air i really don't want to watch it oh you're just saying that because it's amazon <laughs> we talked about this Anyway, Min is thinking to her, after Egwene leaves, to try and go find Nenev. Uh Min thinks to herself about what she likes in men, and how that isn't Rand, but she likes him anyway. Thinking emoji. Uh, when suddenly a woman appears, the most beautiful woman in the world. She has long black hair, and all of her stuff is silver, and she's got a lot of moons and star imagery going on. 
who who's that? Who's that, Bion? She says it. She says her name. Yeah, but I want you to say it. <laughs> Lanfear? Yeah, but also Celine. Get it? The moon lady is named Moon after the moon because she's a lady because womb. Well, we'll get into why she's named that. I guess this scene is technically the reveal that Celine is Lanfear if you hadn't put it together already. Yeah. So. She says... Ishamael thinks he controls events, but it's really her that does so. Uh, yes, she's Lanfear. Um, she asks Min to take care of Rand until she comes back for him, which is interesting. You could say she had the first claim. Hmm. Uh, and then finally, we cut to BR leaving the remains of the battlefield to share the news. Uh, the Bornhold is dead. He must tell the Lord Captain Commander what he saw above Falm. And that Dark Friends betrayed them. Dark Friends like that Perrin of the Two Rivers. <laughs> Did somebody Gah! say Perrin Ibera? <laughs> a Dark Friend of the Two Rivers? Chapter 49. What was meant to be. Rand wakes up and is full of questions. Most of the named characters are gone, but Min is still there with him. Uh, also, Moraine has arrived. Rand laments that he has the second Heron because twice the Heron to name him true. Moraine denies sending Varen to them, um, and then she reveals what happened. The battle between Rand and Baalzaman took place in the sky over Falm, and it was in full view of everyone. Like a big old projector screen. Yes. Pictures of the event are already being distributed with hundreds or thousands already in existence. Um... We also He's a meme. Yeah. We also learn what's up with Fane. Uh, it's super evil. He's been subsumed by the evil of Shatter Logoth, and he's now a new being. Uh, Bion, he's something worse. Yeah, Bion, you mentioned something about this before we started recording. Oh, I I just... He, he did an ugly fusion, like in Steven Universe, when the corrupted gems and their fusions mm -hmm. turn into strange amalgamations. Mm -hmm. That's what he's become. So Rand gets up, walks into the proper camp to find Lan, who gives him an approving manly nod. Uh, <laughs> it's like the most you can get from Lan. Yeah. Uh, Loyal and Perrin are also there. Uh, and then the rest of the Shinaran soldiers are waiting for him. Rand insists that the Dark One is dead. Yeah. Second time's the charm, boys. Uh, the soldiers swear fealty, and Rand feels angst. <laughs> Please enjoy the rest of the series. Gross. Massima particularly gets all my lordy, which is surprising. Yeah, the good news is that most of the angst that isn't interesting to see is in the next book, and also he is only in 3% of the next book. <laughs> so we're good. Uh, so chapter 50, After. The tales spread in a hundred permutations of border men and the heroes of the Horn fighting monsters and the Dark One himself at Falm. But they all have the Dragon Reborn riding into battle to lead them with his banner held high. It's pretty sick. The banner, though. Check out this banner! Moraine's like, this is why you had this. Moraine doesn't know anything. <laughs> like... She says it may help you. 
like all she was hoping was that it might work out which good stuff moraine so so ends book two which i enjoyed much more than the first one yes and thankfully can you at least say that much beyond like the second compared to the first the second book is better than the first book bare minimum i gotcha it continue the series continues to get better for at least two more books i would say more than that i mean i kind of just want to see Egwene and the going more feral please be excited for book three <laughs> where they have their own adventure where they kind of go feral cool that's just all i really wanted okay well they're the wonder squad who yes. needs like boy angst when you could just have like angry women blowing things up sure hope you like nanave <laughs> anyway yeah that was that was that book that's a good book i like it i well i like the ending <laughs> yeah that's fair uh, I think books three and four are, like, actually good throughout. Um, three, maybe a little less. Four, definitely. Four has, like, two bad chapters and everything else is great. Yeah. Three has issues, but is generally good. Yeah. Is there biological essentialism? Well, no? yes. Wait. Does it... Like, not not more than before. Oh, okay. It just continues but, the trend. Yeah. I mean, what, what just... makes it worse? It's not that it's worse. I still think it's better than the second book. It's just there are some pacing issues in the third book. That's true. But it also has... Yeah, there's some good stuff. Dance with me. We'll get to it. Please be excited for six weeks from now. <laughs> so that wraps up book two. Um, so I think the plan is that we're going to... We're still going to take the um, week off between books... But by the time that this episode gets posted, because it's um, Thanksgiving here, uh, we're we will have already taken that week break. Uh, we're so, talking to you from the past. Yes, we're talking to you from past. the days of the future past. So the break has already happened. This episode will be posted. Um, so next week we are going to have another uh, minisode. We'll see if. We can wrangle Beyond into that one so that they can set the record straight. I'll partake so I can justify the fact that I have read many fantasy books. And then uh, the week after, we will be into The Dragon Reborn. Sounds perfect. Sounds perfect. I'm hyped for that book. So yeah, I guess that's it. I really like these books. <laughs> oh, really? I am shocked. They are fun. They are fun. When they're, <laughs> I think that's the point. When they're good, they're good. I like having these conversations. I learn more with all of them. Sweet. Yeah. That, that was one thing I realized early on, is I feel like talking about Wheel of Time is often more fun than reading Wheel of Time. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, it's a good compromise. What kind of idiot would like reading? <laughs> In this society? <laughs> You want me in to this economy. in this economy? Uh, all right. All right. Uh, Jesse, where can people find us? People can find us on our Twitter, at Wheel Reading. We love hearing from people that reach out to us on Twitter, as well as leaving any reviews on iTunes. Uh, it helps people find us, and we love hearing how people are interacting with the 
podcast. Also, if you have any friends that love the Wheel of Time or are just starting to read the Wheel of Time, uh, let them know that you have a cool podcast you listen to because we're mostly first-time reader-friendly. So Yeah, it barely contains any spoilers from me being too excited. <laughs> it's mostly only spoilers of the specific, specific chapters we mentioned, though. Anything else is... At least kind of vague. Kind of vague. Also, I really thought you were going to pause after that. If you have friends. <laughs> but yeah. Well, cool. Thanks for listening. Thank yeah. you so much. Um, it's another book down. We uh, did it. This has been The Third Wheel. I'm Tyler. I'm Bion. And I'm Jesse. See you next time. Thank you. Thank you.